bad, strong bad. He was my favorite. Early internet was weird, dude, but fun. I, I miss the internet being constantly weird because it was fun. Welcome back to the DMGT Podcast. I am your host, Danny, and you just get me today. No Spencer, no Spenny. Uh, boy was busy doing homeowner stuff. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's, you just get me today. But that's okay because he hasn't played Spider-Man yet, and I've played Spider-Man. I actually just beat the story. Um, so I'm going to talk a lot about Spider-Man, but don't worry if you haven't played Spider-Man yet or don't want to get spoiled, I'll, I'll let you know, uh, before I start talking about spoilers, but we're going to be talking a lot of Spider-Man content today. Uh, Apple announcing a weird, uh, Monday evening event before Halloween. I don't think they've ever done like a PM, like evening events all online only too. So I'm kind of interested to see like where they're going with it um i have some some thoughts there about what they could be doing i think it's obviously going to be mac related um mario wonders got really strong reviews i played a little bit a touch over the weekend not mine hi josh thanks for letting me play super mario brothers wonder on your switch um so we'll talk a little bit about that because it they got better it's really strong reviews stronger reviews than spider-man 2 and um, I think this where Spider-Man reviews currently land, I think is accurate is, you know, a little preview on like my take on Spider-Man too. uh, spook it's spooky season. Do you have like spooky games? I remember playing spooky. I'm, I'm really bad with playing horror games, but I'll, I'll try to rank some, uh, some of the, my favorite spookies or spooky adjacent games um and some of my favorite memories with some of that stuff um uh, before we get into you know alan wake's coming out this week before we get into some of the the rest of the year stuff we are i think we're getting pretty close to um the announcements on like what nominees and stuff for the different categories for the game awards we're t-minus i don't know seven weeks away from the game awards like it's it's Coming up on us pretty soon here. And we'll talk a little bit about the the new Blink-182 album. The, the When We Were Young Fest just happened over the weekend. And uh, was it Vegas? It was Vegas. It was in Vegas last year, but I wasn't sure. I don't know where this year. But that new Blink-182 album is out. And I'll talk about that one a little bit. But before we do that, let's get right into right into the stuff. The Spider-Man stuff. Some video gamey stuff. Because, oh man, I just beat the story yesterday, so here's your official marker for the beginning of spoilers for Spider-Man. I'll limit this to like 10 or 15 minutes. I don't know. We'll see. Just skip ahead, and then I'll let you know. <laughs> I don't know. You you will know. You will know. Uh, got Spider-Man over the weekend. Uh, I had pre-ordered the, the uh, collector's edition, so I have the nice 19 <laughs> inches of Venom uh, that Spencer didn't appreciate how I said it la a couple of weeks ago, but um, that came in. Uh, was a little video unboxing and stuff showcase on it, so you can go see that on the either the DMGT Instagram or on the TikTok, but it's there. Um, look, it's very cool. It's very cool and nice, high-quality build. Um Sometimes collector's editions can be, I feel, sometimes they can be a little hit or miss in the quality of, like, the, you know, figures and stuff that you get in there. But uh, I don't have that many collector's items because I normally haven't done that in the past. But I have um, 
the Ellie on the guitar with the plane with the guitar statue uh, from the collector's edition of Last of Us 2 because I had to get that one. And then now this one with the Venom statue with Miles and Peter. It's very cool. I, I like I like that uh, item a lot. So it's gonna I still have to figure out a spot to put it in my office for its permanent spots. Uh, but yeah, and then I started playing Spider Man like immediately on Friday evening, and I've I've put in like. I think I'm at 20 hours. I think I'm, I've, I've played so much Spider-Man over the weekend. So I have a lot of thoughts on it. And I'll, I'll start off with what I think. Uh, here's going to be my hot take, and then we'll 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 take it from there. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is a very fun video game, uh, but it is not Game of the Year. I know like, not everything has to be about Game of the Year, and the conversations online are getting like really annoying about people fighting and arguing over Game of the Year as if it's like a thing that you can weaponize against someone having fun with the thing, right? But like, this is the, this is just a reality of, of online discourse with video gaming and where, where we are now. Um, people are screaming about Final Fantasy 15 or 16 rather being game of the year. It is not. Um, Starfield being game of the year. It is not. Spider-Man 2 being game of the year. It is not. Uh, but the, uh, me saying those things doesn't automatically mean that like you hate a game or that I hated those games. I had I enjoyed them all. Uh, I think for me at least, and here's what you have to understand about how I talk about video games on, at the DMTT here. There's my personal enjoyment aspect of it, and uh, we're going to start talking about like whether we believe things are worth their current price points. And then there's uh, what I present to you, dear listener or watcher on TikTok or YouTube or wherever, um, my like critical analysis of a game. Uh, look, I've, I've only been doing this for a couple of years, so I'm not going to pretend that like I'm uh, some seasoned video games and media critic or journalist or anything like that. But I do. That's the whole reason why I started all of this. I, I think about games and music and tech a lot more than the average person does. I like certainly a lot more than the average person does, but I also have been dissatisfied with how some of the conversations go online from the typical outlets. Not all, not everyone. There are some people that I like online. Um, but, but that's, those are, I can decouple the two in my brain, my personal enjoyment versus like me putting, turning, putting on the critical eye in order to generate content and have my opinion be substantiated with substance that isn't just like, I think this game is fun. And then just like ending it there or just like straight up gushing about, I will gush about things. I'm a fan of games and, and stuff. Um, but I, I, th I think for, for me, it's just more in interesting to uh, not nitpick, um, but s sort of like really dive into like the reasons why something works for me as a consumer and why sometimes they do work for me as a consumer. And then like seeing how the rest of the field plays those specific areas um, in, in a way that is... Uh, I don't know, at least consistent with how I view, I personally view things and like with my tone as a reviewer. And like, obviously, um, when I have Spencer and when Spencer's talking about it, we have like that back and forth. And sometimes we're aligned and sometimes we're not. But I think that's the whole fun of it. It's like being able to have like a healthy debate. So, no, Spider Man 2 is not quite game of the year. Only because, only because this year is just so hard. It's just, this year is just so tough for a game of the year. I think uh, when we talk about the likes of like 
even like a Diablo 4 this year where I know like a lot of like the online gamers and like the talking heads uh, in video gaming spaces are like, ah, Diablo 4, the, the updates, they've ruined it and this and that, blah, blah, blah. I promise you, talk to like your average Diablo 4 player from that first month. They're all like, I don't know, I'm having a good time and they're just playing the game. The numbers have dropped off a little bit, which is indicative of other, of, you know, of deeper problems there. But now like season two is supposed to be picking it back up either way all i'm saying like it's a refreshing take or just like a different type of game that i think satisfied uh the majority of gamers for that time frame this year um so like a game like that uh your final fantasy 16 your starfield your spider-man 2 now i think in maybe not most years but in in some other years they are more easy winners, right? Like, um, I don't like to discount 2021's It Takes Two uh, that much because I do think that they did some fun stuff with, like, co-op and puzzles and it being, like, a collaborative game in order to, like, really progress and enjoy it. So I think that that's, like, a um, a novel concept that I think was worthy of a Game of the Year win, uh, even though, again, once again, Returnal was my winner that year. But... <clears throat> when I'm thinking about game, the game of the year, and when, again, the basis here is, you know, off the game awards, because so many outlets do game of the year wins, uh, it has to be like, is this, you know, leading its class, not just in popularity, because it can't just be a popularity contest. People are always like, oh, but Spider-Man's more popular than Baldur's Gate 3, or Baldur's Gate 3 is a turn-based combat, or uh, Tears of the Kingdom is this or that, like, you... You can have these arguments about every single game, but popularity can't be the leading indicator because you remember a couple of years ago when it was like the fan vote and then Genshin Impact developers were like, hey, every time you vote and you show us that you voted, you get stuff in game. And that just completely skews the thing, right? You cannot base things off purely popularity. Okay, so what am I saying here, right? Uh, Spider-Man 2, not game of the year. Um... It's it's hard when when you had a game and and I had the same exact argument uh, about Elden Ring and um, God of War Ragnarok last year. And as more time goes by, like the harder I de- dive into, like no, God of War Ragnarok was hands down. I mean, Elden Ring was hands down game of the year. Um, but it, we had a similar conversation where I don't think uh, God of War Ragnarok did enough for story based games and action story-based action games that incorporate a little bit of like the souls uh born mechanics in that genre or in that space that we hadn't already like achieved already story-wise with the likes of i don't hold red dead 2 as high but like i know a lot of people do and even some critics do the the likes of red dead 2 we've already seen like incredible well-paced and well-thought-out stories um with protagonists and, and deeply enriching stories and, and characters read it to with the last of us, the last of us part two, as divisive as that one is, it straight up is, um, some earlier metal gear solid games, like these stories and d- deep stories have been hand done before to that caliber, to the caliber that God of War Ragnarok did. And that's not a knock on God of War Ragnarok because again, we're judging it for what it is, but it's not, there, there's gotta be a little bit of novelty. I think, when it comes to like game of the year, especially at this stage, because we've, we already know the, uh, 
the scale that and the magnitude that games can achieve on like the production front where it feels like a movie to some degree but it, like at, at its core the game is is more important um i don't think starfield or diablo 4 or final fantasy certainly not final fantasy 16 i actually I'm regretting my four out of five. That I think it's straight up a three out of five, and, and now I'm changing my opinion. And now Spider-Man Two are doing anything in their specific genres that are as groundbreaking or as influential as the physics mechanics and the way that you interact with the world that Tears of the Kingdom did. Like really, even though it's like an iteration on Breath of the Wild, they mastered it. In Tears of the Kingdom, I never held Breath of the Wild in the high in, in the regards that a lot of people did, and for me, it felt cathartic when Tears of the Kingdom came out, and everyone's like, "Oh, it makes Breath of the Wild look like a tech demo." I was like, "That's because Breath of the Wild was never as good as people said it was." Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry, but that's how I feel about Tears of the Kingdom, and then Baldur's Gate Three has reignited my love for turn-based games and RPGs. I, I that's the way that they handled not only turn-based combat and like obviously incorporating dun the Dungeons and Dragons role stuff, but also the sprawling story that doesn't feel um, inconsequential. Like you can have multiple, like I'm already having multiple playthroughs where it feels like an entirely different experience, but each of those experiences are as enriching as the others. Um, some little aspects, I think, are different and maybe don't hold up quite as highly, but you can follow each of these characters and like dedicated run to each of these characters and the story weaves and changes in its own unique way. And like, I understand why developers were saying like this, this it's difficult for this to be the standard um, for, for video games um, without obviously like, I know where they were coming from there. It's as far as like crunch culture, gamers on Twitter and, you know, online are like, oh, they're just lazy. Like, no, 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 that's not what they're saying. Like, go actually read the arguments that they were making. Um, most developers are not in spaces or in places where the studios are going to allow them the uh, runway that Larian Studios allowed their team in order to develop a game that deep. Uh those two games stand on their own on that front. And not just conceptually, like their execution of those things is done uh, very well. I think Tears of the Kingdom is held back a little bit by uh, the Switch's uh, tech and, and just like the, the, the technology and the power behind the Switch, which is why I think Baldur's Gate 3 coming out of seemingly nowhere midway through the year over the summer and just like completely flipping that narrative on its head to be like everyone was saying it's tears of the kingdom game of the year Baldur's Gate 3 comes out and it's like oh actually it might be Baldur's Gate 3 um, and I think that's accurate Spider-Man 2 not quite there not quite to that degree um, neither was Starfield neither was Final Fantasy 16 and it's basically the field after that and all of that's to say, they're all very good games. We're all very lucky to be playing all of these, to have these many good games in a single year. So back to back to back with each other. And we haven't even talked about Super Mario Brothers Wonder yet. That has a higher score on Metacritic. Again, Metacritic is not the end-all be-all, but higher score than Spider-Man because it's doing novel things for 2D platformers. And... That, that, that's where I'll go. I'll start with Spider-Man 2. Um, it is a very fun game. I've always been a fan 
of this the Insomniac's rendition of Spider-Man because they have taken creative liberties with the Spider-Man IP and the, uh, the source material where this is coming from and changed it in a way that still makes it feel true to the character but presenting you with the whole whole new story and I'll, I'll talk about the story and some of those details um in a little bit when i get into the spoiler section here uh but for me the mechanics playing spider-man 2 immediately felt like i was playing spider-man ps4 and not in a bad way um in in like a very good familiar i know i'm going to enjoy this gameplay loop just like i enjoyed the gameplay loop for starfield it felt like a familiar formula however Insomniac definitely took strides to modernize and make it feel um, like it, an iteration on the original PS4 and then Miles Morales uh, structure and formula. The and not just the um, not just the spider wings, but let's start with Traverso because Traverso I think is hands down much more. I I already enjoyed the PS4 uh, Spider Man's. Uh, traverso and, and the way the swinging felt and the tricks and all of that this one just cranks it up like you know what we have the power of the ps5 now and loading speeds are not really a problem anymore so you can just go go and it feels fast and fluid um obviously fast travel feels is like instance but like you don't you almost don't even need it because as you're swinging around at the speeds that you are you can do tricks and just like enjoy you know, traversing the the game and and uh, Insomniac's version of New York, and then do things as you go. You you spot different, you know, items and activities to do, crime and stuff to to handle, side quests, all of that. They they continue to do that very well, uh, even though it's a open world and map formula that um, is a little reminiscent of like the Assassin's Creed, the Ubisoft structure, but they've scaled some of that down a little bit where in Spider-Man one, you were like unlocking like the, um, the, the city cop stuff, the NYPD bases to like unlock areas of the map. No, this, you just do things in the sections of the map and then you can fast travel within it. I, I think that's a much better way of, of handling exploration because it's giving you an incentive to actually go from place to place. And you do that through, the traversal. So they handled that gameplay loop very well. They, they it, see, it wasn't like a massive overhaul, but that's enough of an improvement where it felt like a step forward. And not only with the mechanic itself, but just with the skill tree as well to like expand like the speed that you can go, uh, that you, that you can do things. So by the by by the, the end game and like where I am in the game, twenty hours in, that speed is already like starting to crank up a bit. The heights that you can jump. All of that, the slingshotting, very fun. It all works very well, which then leads me to combat because I think combat is where um, I enjoyed this the most, um, especially with like the gadgets. Uh, there, there, are, there are fewer gadgets technically in this than there are in even in Miles Morales, um, but that's been replaced by offering you sometimes doing the less is more thing where instead of having a you know, weapon wheel for your gadgets, which is like one of my actual complaints of uh, Baldur's Gate 3. I just don't love the wheel menu uh, system in any game, really. Um, you just hold L1 and then the appropriate button, the triangle, circle, X, 
cross or square, uh, and then you that's the appropriate gadget. Uh, maybe it would have been cool to continue to keep all the previous gadgets and just swap them out however you need, but the way that they embedded certain upgrades for the story, um, I understand why they didn't go that route, but honestly, I'm not that mad at it because you combine those combinations and then you have the R1 and the D-pad combinations, and those are different ab abilities that both each Peter and Miles have to perform in combat. It just feels way more fluid when you're like pressing your squares and your circles and you're dodging. And then they added the parry system. Of course, every action game has to have a parry system nowadays. It just works. It just works well. FromSoft figured that out forever ago. Um, and it just continued. It just adds so much more. Uh, it, it's an additional layer of, of uh, just an additional, why can't I say dynamic? It's just a more dynamic to do that. I was trying to say like dynamicism. That's not right. That's not a word. Uh, but it makes combat feel much more dynamic. So you combine no scroll weapon wheel plus the parry and button inputs to do the different gadgets and abilities plus the expanded abilities that each Peter and Miles have. It, it's a much more complete combat experience um that it just feels so so satisfying i will say it's probably still not quite at like santa monica studios like god of war uh combat mechanics uh for me 2018's god of war is still peak mechanics in like raw combat for uh at least for playstation uh, studio exclusives i did think ragnarok took a little bit of a step back so just some of the abilities didn't hit quite as hard as I thought they did in 2018, um, but, but Spider-Man is, it's up there. Uh, they, they did a really fantastic job uh, with the combats, and it makes sense because you're doing way more like traverso and there's more uh, verticality to, to the gameplay, naturally, obviously. And then as far as the map, like obviously it's expanded, it's bigger, it's not quite twice the size, I'd say it's like... 60% bigger than the original uh, PS4 one, but that's still like a significant jump. That's a significant increase. Uh, and it's, and it's just like, it's nice. And each area feels like it has its own distinct personality, even though it's like all still in a major city, obviously it's still, still modeled after New York, even though it's not like a one to one recreation. Uh, that feels pretty good the different activities and things to do. It's still a solid variety, but uh, the density is where I think I'm maybe most impressed with. Like, it visually looks solid, solid. It's not going to win any graphical, like, fidelity awards and, like, the facial animations and the, you know, character animations. And cutscenes look look solid, but, you know, like, The Last of Us Part Two is still, I, th I think The Last of Us Two is still peak like facial animations and visual like just like how pretty a thing is to look at uh and that, we're talking about you know at the end of ps4's life cycle stage like graphically you know the one thing that doesn't really impact gameplay all that much um last of us 2 i think is still like the gold standard uh god of War ragnarok looked great as well obviously but i still think the last of us part 2 looks uh the prettiest of all modern games so far um Ghost of Shima looks great as well. Um, Spider-Man 2 is good, is is good, but nothing nothing really to to write home about, and that's okay because it makes it's made up through uh, made up for through its density. I think the amount of like vehicles and people uh, 
is super impressive. Like, maybe it's because I haven't really been paying attention to this so much because Trevor Traverso is so fast. I don't necessarily, I haven't noticed like the pop in or anything like that. It feels like you turn a corner and there's just a ton of people on the streets, a ton of cars. It feels like there's natural and organic traffic flow. Um, the sounds of the city are really like, they were already really strong in, in Spider-Man four, but like, because of our Spider-Man PS4, but because of the density, I think there's an additional layer to the sound design and the audio that uh, I picked up on this time, even playing on the TV. I haven't even played this with headphones at all yet uh, because I've been leaning in on my OLED. It looks great. The frame rate, I think, is solid. Uh, I personally recommend playing this on performance mode with uh, VRR and 120 hertz uh, enabled if you have a tv or a display that can output that because man it looks buttery smooth and i just can't play any other game mode without it um it, it's just so so nice I, I don't see like that big of a difference from like performance and fidelity i could be kind of crazy but like when action sequences are moving so fast like it's it's a negligible difference they both look fantastic um so I'll leave that there, and then I'll start getting into some of the cons here, because now that I'm, like, really thinking about it, uh, a lot of people are dunking on IGN's 8s, and I'm like, I get, I think I get where that's coming from. Um, there are, just the, the side missions and some of the minigame stuff continues to be, I don't know, it just, they just feel, um like padding it just feels and i'm not i'm not i'm trying to be careful with my words here like i'm not saying that it, they, they feel lazy or anything like that but they just feel like padding to to the game where it doesn't really need it like we i got spider-man to play a spider-man so if most of the thing is centered around like if all of it was centered around swinging and web shooting and fighting as spider-man or either version uh that's exactly what i want um so some of the mini games fine you know, not, I'm not in love with them. Some of the side quests, um, I don't hate. There are a handful of like, uh, really down tempo, uh, side quests where, uh, basically you're just like talking to characters that you encountered in Spider-Man four. I'm not going to do major spoilers here or anything like that. Um, I appreciate those because it's adding depth to Insomniac's New York and it just adds more like humanity to like you know, the, the city and the people that, you know, uh, Miles and Peter are protecting They're They want to protect It's at the end of the day, it's still like friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So adding some of like the neighborhood to this game and to this world and to the setting makes sense naturally to me. I think those are solid. Um, I'm not a huge fan of like the puzzle stuff where it's like, Hey, you know, here's like these DNA genome stuff or whatever, like, you know, pop the bubbles in the right order. Okay. I could, I could do without some of that stuff. Uh, the carnival games and one of the story beats, this is pretty early in the game, uh, with Harry and like MJ and Peter's like, okay, this is, this is fine. It's just expanding on the story. Sometimes they feel like they can go a little bit longest is all I'm saying. It's like, okay, let's want to get back to being Spider-Man. Thank you. Remember how like the MJ missions, uh, in PS4 Spider-Man were like, okay, I want to go back to being Spider-Man. They definitely improved the MJ missions. Speaking of mechanics and stuff here inside contents or, you know, not Spider-Man primary contents. Uh, they gave her a little bit of combat 
with the stun gun and stuff and a little bit of training they like they like briefly mentioned like oh yeah good thing i trained with sable and then all right cool she's taking down hunters all of a sudden i'm not gonna be too much into that it's just like whatever it's so it's still like it's some of that stuff that's like oh this is definitely like a video game um it's just a little bit of the immersion crud like bends a little bit it doesn't like again it sounds like i'm nitpicky but like i'm again i'm like overthinking the, this stuff right um but overall it felt like some of the sections uh with mj like in particular once uh peter gets the symbiote suit i mean that's not a spoiler like yo you know peter's gonna get the symbiote suit um they incorporate a little bit of a horror element into it which i kind of appreciated uh, it just like added like a little bit of uh some like real stakes um to to those missions rather than just like oh, let me get through to the next section even though like the stealth people are like oh it's like i'm playing the last of us I'm like what the hell? what version of the last of us are you playing because uh the last of us has you know relatively simple stealth mechanics but it, it's still more than the mj mission so it's like this didn't feel like i was playing the last of us to me but you know that's i i get where the through line and that thought was coming from for me, though, and this is where I will start with spoilers. I'm only going to take a few minutes here because I'm already 30 minutes into this episode. Um, for me, though, where this game starts faltering a bit is in its story um, because it's a very ambitious story. It's tr it's doing a lot. It's a very sprawling story, and I understand why you wanted to make it bigger than the first one, especially since you're playing as both Peter and Miles throughout this game. Um which I really enjoyed. It feels like both of their stories. It didn't feel like it was just Peter's story or just Miles' story. Um, however, because of that, there are moments in this game that are very, they're supposed to be a little bit darker, a little bit more introspective. Um, and they, some of those moments and some of those beats just don't get uh, time to breathe, I feel, because it's like, it's, it's still trying to like, I imagine the game design aspect of it is like, we still got to keep people engaged. We still got to like big video game. This is Spider-Man for me. Uh, and I'll go into this example because it goes, my favorite section of the game um, is after, after the uh, stealth mission with, with MJ and, and Peter that I was just talking about where like Peter's kind of losing it with the, the symbiotes basically taking over. Um, He's hunting down MJ. He's basically trying to kill her at this point, And you're trying to like sneak around. It's, it's, pretty intense um she gets away uh miles gets captured uh, by by craven because he's trying to help mj escape um and then you play as miles uh trapped at craven at one of the craven's holdings and you're you know you try to fight your way out a little bit and then you fight martin lee and you fight martin lee who obviously killed uh, uh, Miles' uh, father in one of the attacks from the first game. And you fight. You have this massive combat sequence, like Peter, uh, uh, Miles and, and Martin Lee and Mr. Negative are like arguing with each other, yada, yada. Like they're starting to give uh, Martin Lee a little bit of a, like they're trying to insert a redemption arc and like him like regretting, you know, some of the stuff that he's done, but they're forced into this fight by, by Craven and his crew. Miles beats him, you beat him as Miles, whatever, but like you, Miles figures out a way to like push him out and be like, I'm not going to kill you. You need to go find Peter. We need help. So one of us can at least escape. So Martin Lee does that. Miles is still trapped by Craven. He goes, finds, he goes to get Peter. Um, 
Peter's like, oh man, all right. They took they took Miles. He's still kind of like in between symbiotes, losing it as a symbiote, but also like he's still Peter there. So like he's like, oh crap, I gotta I gotta help Miles. So he shows up at Craven's mansion where Lee told him to go, and he's like mad, like where the hell is he? Blah 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 blah. And then you get into this fight sequence with Craven. It's like, oh man, here we go. The Craven fight is here as Black Suit Spider Man. It's cool. You get all these you have all these abilities kicking off and everything. Like it's your Peter as like the black symbiote um, abilities have maxed out here. You do all of that. You beat Craven, and then he's about to kill Craven, and my and Miles finally arrives. And he's like, "No, you can't do. It. Like, what are we doing? We don't kill people." Blah blah blah. And then you have immediately you have Peter and Miles fight, and it was really intense. It was it was actually a very hard fight, even though I wasn't playing on the hardest difficulty. Like, obviously, they're arguing, and he's like, no, I'm trying to save you, blah, blah, blah. But, like, it feels like all this weight and all this responsibility is on Miles as, like, the 17... I think... I don't know if, like... The the writing just felt like, like, hey, man, this is still a 17-year... This is still a child. This is still a kid, man, that's, like, trying his best. And, like, basically trying to pull out this much more mature and experienced Spider-Man um with the symbiote suit so he's obviously trying to save him from that and it's like it feels very intense like this argument's like obviously miles has learned a lot from the miles morales game and a little bit of uh spider-man one so you finally beat him and throughout the entire game um miles has been like oh man like peter's kind of becoming distant at first it was mostly because you know he was preoccupied with harry and like trying to figure out like adult life stuff the mortgage and and all of that um which i never understood why peter just like didn't like talk to him like hey man there's here's everything that i got going on but it's not on you don't worry like you're you're a kid you're still in high school finish your college essay most of the time it was like miles trying to figure out like his college essay that was like the stress on his mind on top of like some of the spider-man stuff so it's like you know just talk to him a little bit story-wise uh and then they he beats him they pull out the symbiote they step on the rooftop or whatever and peter's just like hey miles thank you i'm sorry look uh, and then miles goes like we're good bro and they just fist bump and that's it i was like bro you've been like s- straight up being negligent to this 17 year old kid who you're training to be a spider-man with you <laughs> we're good in a fist bump it handles all that that felt a little um it just didn't feel very uh like it just didn't feel like very good resolution on the story in that moment's particular. So that's an example of like where it didn't really breathe. Um, but this is still like halfway through my favorite section or most of the way through my favorite section of the game. So you had Martin Lee, miles, uh, Peter Craven, Peter miles. And now Peter goes to Oscorp because, you know, he calls up Dr. Connors and says, whatever, but like, I we got to get rid of this symbiote, even though Harry's dying or whatever. Um, you go, you go there, Harry's like kind of mad at Peter because of some of the stuff that Peter said to him while he was with the symbiote still, obviously, you know, being a menace like black suit Spider-Man is in all iterations of Spider-Man, um, turns into Venom and then you play as Venom. Very cool sequence. This is like, we're talking like, this is like four, three or four hours. I'm, I gotta go back and like look at the actual time frame and, and the beats of the story here. But this is like all this entire sequence of like three or four hours. I could not put the controller down, um, and it was fantastic. You play as uh, uh, Venom, which I wasn't expecting, and then you go fight Craven, and you finally end up end up killing Craven. Um, 
That's my that was my favorite section of the entire game. But even within that favorite that section of the game, there were those moments where it's like this isn't this game isn't allowing me and the story space to breathe because it's got to force you and push you to the next like big action sequence because this is still a video game, you know. Um, that that's where like some of the story beats I think falter a little bit. Like they prioritize action sequences over um grounding the story a little bit because what that's like four different beats that happened that happens in an hour in a span of four hours so it's very intense it's very cool like visually and like gameplay wise it's a very satisfying but story-wise like damn you did all of this in four hours you give miles and uh <laughs> martin lee a little bit of a tiny bit of resolution that you've been you know um addressing for all, basically two games um Suddenly you get you give Peter giving in to the symbiotes and then Peter and Miles like their kind of culmination of like some weird tension throughout the game. But like it's never really addressed outside of like just straight up Miles's perspective and some phone calls here and there that like MJ gives to to Peter as you're playing as him. It's just like this could have been entire sections of the game by themselves to like really let them let them read. But then are you stretching this game out too much or the sections? um there's not an is there not enough gameplay grandiose stuff to keep the player engaged i get that and then with the whole uh the the, the way that venom and then craven is handled because that's the rest of the game with with venom that part makes sense the back end of that because it's the rest of the game um and it's basically just focused on on venom from from that point on that part's fine but like the that middle section where it was like really cool to see from goopy gamer brain perspective really cool uh very cool it's still i don't know just a little it felt a little like it was losing the plot a little bit uh story-wise and i think it's hard to have that in a uh something that you want to be game of the year where games in the past have already like nailed this part down uh for video games like red dead 2 was like uh, suffer from this a little bit um when they get to the you know the island off of uh, the states or whatever they fall off the boat and like they land on the island that's where it felt like for me red dead 2 lost its plot quite a bit i hated that entire entire section um but yeah it's it's been handled before so it's like for me a story uh, like a game that's like rely so much on its story to like really propel it into that like high pedigree of like um like a score but like or uh, reveration from like players and critics uh i think that that's those are the parts that need to be a little bit tighter in my opinion um so that that's why i would say it's just just not enough for to really overtake even tears of the kingdom i think it's baldur's gate 3 uh, uh baldur's gate 3 is a war to lose um but that's that's where my over analytical long rant about why Spider-Man 2 I, I don't think is quite enough for for game of the year. All that being said, I finished the story. Um, some of the shots, man, they shot this game like really, really cool. Like some of the shots as black suit Spider-Man, some of the shots with Venom and those action sequences, they just look really cool. Um it's just a really fun time. I think I think this is probably easily the best Spider-Man game 
Yeah, yeah, this is the new best Spider-Man game. I appreciate the length, actually, because um, even though I just said all this stuff about the story, uh, if it had gone too much longer or much longer, um, do you risk like it over, overstaying its welcome, just like Final Fantasy sixteen over overstayed its welcome? It just like felt like it was dragging for the sake of dragging uh, the story. Uh, this game leaves me wanting for more, and because of the way that they handled that, that gives Insomniac the opportunity to move on and really flesh out a third game, which I think at this point is like, yeah, it's obviously, it's obviously going to happen with the way that they ended things. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm like, okay with the length. It's like, Oh, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather this feeling of like, man, that was cool. I wish I could have more of this. Um, because now we're in our second and a half game. And I'm still like, yeah, that was nice. I'm like satisfied with this Spider-Man content. I could go for more. I would, I would have some more of this. More, please. Thank you. Uh, I think that's that's a sweet spot for any franchise to to be in. So um, that's that's my long-winded impression slash mini review of Spider-Man Two. I'll get into some more of the uh, nitty gritty details in my review that I'll get up for YouTube probably at some point next week. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's where we are there. Uh, let's quickly talk about super Mario brothers wonder because that that's currently sitting at, I believe a 90, uh, 93 on Metacritic, right? Yep. 93 on Metacritic where Spider-Man two is at a 91. This we're talking like razor thin margins here. Um, I played a little bit over the weekend, tiny bit, but like the tiny section that I played, I was like, Oh yeah, this, the controls are tight. Uh, it's incorporating some like rhythm stuff. The abilities feel new and different. It's very vibrant and colorful. I'm like, okay, if that's like most of this game, just from like that, 15 minutes of playing it i understand why it's rated so highly and that's i think saying a lot for a game if you can experience its game and this is what nintendo does so well it's just like we're just gonna throw a video game at you it's just raw video game and mechanics and like visual patterns and gameplay patterns um they i think they do that better than than everyone where they sacrifice i think production and story and like you know, scale to some degree, even though Tears of the Kingdom definitely had a huge sense of uh, scale. Nintendo's the best at it. Nintendo's the best at that specific aspect. And that's why at the end of the game, we're talking about video games, right? So that's why they get rated so highly. Uh, I think I'm never mad at, you know, I, don't, I think people say like, oh, there's a Nintendo bump when, you know, reviewers are talking about Nintendo games. Like, no, I think they just at it at their core, in particular, I will say, in particular, with the Mario and Zelda franchises, they understand at its core what a video game needs to be and what those specific video games need to be while still taking some risks. I think a lot of major franchises and major IPs on PlayStations and Xbox aside they get a little worried about taking too many big risks with their games specifically and the game design specifically. Um, Nintendo, at least with, with Mario and Zelda, uh, aren't that afraid. When, when it comes to like Pokemon and Animal Crossing and like uh, Metroid, we saw, where's Metroid Prime 4 Nintendo? That's where things get a little shaky. 
but those two franchises in particular, they have it down. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to to play that. I'm gonna pick that up before the end of the year here. Um, but you know, I still I still haven't even beat the uh, uh, of an entire campaign of Baldur's Gate three, and I'm like, at this point, I don't know, sixty hours into it be- between the two campaigns that I got going on. It's it's so good. So I want to I want to get back into that. Um, usually I like to say that I'm going to I want to complete like a main story or like the main thing of a video game before I do review. Uh, I think I'm at a point where I can do a review, but like I haven't I, I'm about to get to act three in one of my run throughs. And I want to get through most of that to like see where because that's where most of the criticism and some of uh, some of the uh, uh, the pieces fall like are a little bit lackluster at least according to most of the reviews, uh, lie. So I want to experience that for myself before I, I sit down for a review. And then I started to do the iPhone 15 review, which I haven't done yet. So that's coming this week. And and not to mention, Alan Wake, Alan Wake 2 is coming out this Friday. And I want to play Alan Wake 2. I'm really bad at scary games. It's spooky survivor horror games. Um, but this one looks really good. The, like, look, I, I'm a big fan of Remedy. Um, I really enjoyed Control. I really, really enjoyed Control on PC. I think that was uh, not a sleeper hit because obviously it's already, it's big now, but it's, uh, it's strange now because I think they're, they're no longer, or they're straight up not a, um, indie studio anymore, I would say. Like, I don't know. No, they're, they're publicly traded, but they still like kind of have that aura and that energy around like how they make video games you know like does that make sense like they feel like they have the spirit and the energy of an indie studio um but alan wake 2 like it, it it looks it looks cool so something about that gameplay is feels like a crossing between like the last of us uh resident evil in the way that it looks and then obviously like control did this a little bit as well where it's like that survival aspect but also a little bit more fantastical than um the last of us is with like more spooky haunting elements to it um but not not quite as like resident evil games to me in my opinion can be a little campy so without and not not very not overly campy, but it's like there's a touch of campiness in there. There's like a little bit of cheesiness with how the lines and the characters are delivered. This one feels like a nice in between between the two franchises uh, that that I'm thinking of with Last of Us and and, and Resident Evil. Um, and I'm usually like I don't like playing these games because I'm a wuss when it comes to scary games. Uh, but this one looks compelling enough with the two. Like I appreciate that they're giving it to you right out of the bat that this is going to be a two dual protagonist like perspective um and i'm kind of i'm interested in that and because it's remedy i'm like i'm gonna pick up this game um so we'll see we'll see how it goes it's been getting like really strong reviews as well so um see this is another game where it's like oh my god is this one gonna sneak up into a game of the year nomination maybe i don't know there's too many games somebody somebody's going to be left out because there are so there are that many good games where it's like i can make you a list of 10 games that deserve nominations and someone else like will be like what about these 10 other games and i'd be like ah yeah you're not wrong those are probably worthy of nominations as well there are that many super high tier quality games this year um 
on the AAA fronts, on the indie fronts, on the AA fronts. We're we're eating, we're eating. So, um, I guess my point here is, I'm really bad at spooky games, but if I had to play a spooky game, it would probably be Resident Evil Two, and then, and then The Last of Us, and then The Last of Us Part Two. Just because some of the sections are, man, were really, some of the sections were tough for me. And I love The Last of Us. I've replayed The Last of Us a ton of times. Um, I've, I haven't played any of like the, uh, like Outlast or any of like those horror type games. I'm just, I, I can't do it. I can't do it, y'all. Um, I'm, a, I'm a punk. But I've seen the gameplay and it looks spooky, looks scary. I, I like the detective aspect and like the investigation aspect to some of those. Like I think that's where that gameplay loop is, tr- it tries to entice me. But the elements of like the jump scares and everything like that is like, ah, I can't do it. I'll just watch someone else do it instead. Um, and then like Silent Hill, the original Silent Hill, Silent Hill 1 and 2. Those were spooky. Um, Until Dawn, I think, is a... I I thought it was okay. I thought Until Dawn were okay. Um, I'm going to count Left 4 Dead 2, because Left 4 Dead 2 technically is like a horror-adjacent game, I'd say, even though it's like a first-person party shooter. Man, some of the, even with friends playing those, I remember back in the day playing those with friends, and it was like, this is spooky, scary, and we're like screaming in each other's headsets and stuff. It was very fun. So those are those are some of the best ones that I had. I remember playing the original Resident Evil on the PS1 so long ago, but if we'd be like all like huddled around at a cheap little CRT TV, um, at night and we'd turn off all the lights and be like, I got to use the restroom. Someone, someone walked to walk with me to the bathroom, but just stand outside the bathroom. Um, and then we'd shut down, shut off the lights and run away and like leave the person peeing by themselves. Um, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, so yeah, those are some fun, scary games. It's spooky season. Those are the ones that would do it for me. And like, uh, I know it sounds silly now, but like Doom back in the day, the original Doom, oh my God, terrifying, terrifying. Those were terrifying back in the day. Now it's like, oh yeah, this is fine. It's whatever. Um, But the original Doom back in the day, before we had all these, before all these young, young bloods had these photorealistic graphics, uh, man, those pixels would scare the crap out of me for sure. But that's that's where we are on the, on the spooky games. Y'all, let me know if if you're listening. What are some of your think about your favorite horror games or spooky game gaming moments and let us know or leave a comment on the TikTok or the Instagram or something. If you're listening here, tweet at us. Whatever it is at the DMGT, we want to hear. I want to hear from from y'all. Uh, maybe it'll inspire me to like finally pick up some of these games. Um, all right, quickly, let's talk about the apple events and events announcement now that we're still on the spooky topic and then we'll touch on the blink 182 record here i know this is a long episode but uh, whatever you've had short episodes like four or five weeks in a row you can get a minute an hour 15 one this this week uh apple announcing an event for october 30th the day before halloween at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m. Pacific, 
7 p.m. Central. This is, I think this is the latest event that they've had um, for anything, really. So it's kind of, it's like kind of odd, but like in a, in a cool way. Uh, but this this is what they're calling us. I, I I hope, I hope they go, like, have fun with this one. Remember, like, Spencer just talked about it a couple of weeks ago about like, hey, have fun. Like, don't be boring with with it like have some fun if you're gonna have some people in here and they're calling it scary fast the scary fast product events just before halloween um this is gonna be uh this is straight up gonna be like the mac stuff they have the the invite like the apple logo turns into the um uh mac finder face logo thing you know the little smiley face with the you know nose line or whatever in the middle um so it's for sure going to be Mac. We haven't seen like refreshed MacBook Pros in a bit or an iPad. So I anticipate an iPad. I'm interested. I continue to be interested in these Mac events in particular because, and I feel like, I promise I'm not trying to glaze Apple here or anything like that. But I do think that Apple with their M chips and that silicon, um, it is it is their most innovative product. It is their the most innovative, actually innovative thing that they're doing because of the tech that they're putting under these chips and the way that they're constructing them in a very specific way that isn't like when the first M1 chips were announced, everyone were like, ah, "This isn't this isn't as powerful as an Intel chip. This isn't as powerful as a AMD chip. The voltage, yada yada, is like underpowered. So how can it deliver? You know." With all that under voltage, how can you deliver power and speeds and gigahertz and all that, yada, yada, yada? They have flipped that conversation on its head with how they're handling computing efficiency under Macs that are outperforming in certain areas, I will say, in certain aspects and in certain situations and with certain workflows, uh, outperforming similarly priced or more expensive PCs. And that's where I think it's fun and interesting even if it's like you know my m1 max uh macbook pro is, is still great i'm i'm fine with this one for for the foreseeable future until you know apple starts sending this stuff to review hey, hey apple send this stuff to review i promise i love max i actually do legitimately love max um I'm interested to see like where they're going with like gaming performance because they've been hammering on that home quite a bit. Obviously, now with Apple ProRes on the Apple 15, on the iPhone 15 uh, Pros, uh, are they doing some new stuff with like how they're encoding or processing uh, video and and HDR contents and um, like VR, AR content as well. Um, yeah, that's that's always one of the more interesting things to me, even though I don't need it. Um, refreshed iMacs. It's been forever since they refreshed an iMac. I'm just interested. I'm just interested in seeing what they what they have uh, cooked up on the silicones because that's that's really the big stuff now that they're that they work on with uh, Macs, like their own in house uh, silicon and like how that performs in like. You know, I don't know. It's just interesting to me to see, like, in the future, what we could be cooking up with and what we can talk about here um, at the DMGT. So, obviously, we will be talking about whatever they announce next week um, because, luckily, it's a Monday thing. So, we're, I'm going to have a whole ass day to really get into it. Um, 
obviously we'll have some video recaps and content up and then we'll talk about it on the podcast here next week uh before we get into some more tech stuff for for november and a little bit of more more gaming things um okay blink 182 one more time Blink-182 has released one more time. They released it on Friday. It is a... Uh, how long is this bloody album? Oh my god, I should have had this up already. Bear with me for a second, folks. I have like 100 million tabs open. 17 songs, 44 minutes, and 35 seconds. So right at the edge of where I like an album uh, length. So it's like totally fine. Some of these songs are like less than a minute there's a few interludes in here some of these are like under 30 seconds uh, a handful of them are even under two minutes um or around the two minute mark uh so 17 tracks feels like a lot but it's really more like 16 no no uh 15 14 15 tracks like full-on proper tracks um i think it's i don't know i'm still i'm still like simmering on this i i do think i think it's a, their best album since the self-titled i think it barely edges out neighborhoods even though i actually enjoyed neighborhoods um but i think it's easily better than nine in california uh and this is not like i'm i was i'm a big fan of blink's old stuff so all everything up to um self-titled even though i did just say i you know i enjoyed neighborhoods i'm a fan of Everything newer after that, not as much. Certainly not the last two before this one. Um, and no disrespect to Matt Skiba at all, but like I'm not a hardcore fan and I'm, you know, doing like all the like, oh, thank you, Matt Skiba, for, you know, helping keep Blink around. It's like, yes, much respect, but like, you know, I'm not cheerleading uh, or anything like that. Um, I thought it was their best album since self titled. And immediately. My thought after that is like, but I wish I was listening to self-titled uh, is is where I feel. They, they really went hard on the nostalgia here. Um, I think part of what makes this different from like Neighborhoods, which is the, the first reunion album with, with Tom DeLong and, and team, um, Neighborhoods felt very much like Blink-182 sort of and, and I don't know there's the backstory to any of this. So this is just all speculation from like the listeners end. Um, it just felt like they were just trying to keep Tom happy with the way that the songs were structured and produced and the lyrical contents to them and all of that. Even though at the very minimum, I, re- I appreciate the originality that Neighborhoods had, even though that there was a little bit of like introspection in some of those, obviously with um, in the aftermath of the the plane crash uh, that, that Travis Barker was involved in. Um, but it wasn't hitting you over the head with that, uh, outside of like the cover and like a couple of songs. One more time is like straight up, straight up all banking on nostalgia. A lot of introspection, a lot of like, Oh, the relationship between like Tom and Travis and Mark and all of that. Um, which is fine, but it just felt like, Hey, Hey, remember, remember when, when you were young and like, uh you love blink 182 we're still that band trust me and again this feels like i'm like being overly critical but once again i overthink and overanalyze the stuff that i consume uh and it's like right away with like anthem part three 
that that to me is like the immediate indicator like oh yeah you're trying like and part one was on take off your pants jacket right um and then no 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 uh, anthem part one was on enema of the state oh my god what yes and then the next one was on take off your pants jacket uh they skipped an anthem track in blink 182 and now you have anthem part three so like it's i think off the bat that was intentional they're like hey we're going back to that type of blink 182 um even though it sounded very much like something in between take off your pants jacket and uh, self-titled and then it's just like kind of all nostalgia baiting to me it felt like a lot of nostalgia baiting i'm sorry i'm sorry blink fans um i didn't hate it i didn't hate it there are some tracks here that that i enjoy uh i just think the production style that mark uh not mark that uh travis barker is implementing i just don't love like there are some artists that travis produces and works for um but it's just something about the drums are like just feel like overproduced and sometimes blown out um the the vocals are kind of strange here and there where it, it feels like they're getting like drowned out or, or if they weren't mixed properly um just doesn't it, it's not really doing it for me and it just in general the content all you can tell you can tell that there are so many hands in the mixing and in the kitchen and the pot for generating these songs and and then when you go look at the like writing and production credits it's just an endless list of writers and producers that are like working on these tracks. And like, again, that makes sense. That's where Travis Barker is. That's where music in general is nowadays. But I don't know. A lot of these songs felt like they were machine gun Kelly's tracks. And that's going to sound sacrilegious to some of you people. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but go listen to any of the machine gun Kelly stuff. If you don't believe me, go listen with your own ears. And listen to the production style and the way that the mix is handled for the tracks. And then come back to one more time and tell me. And tell me that they don't sound almost identical. Sonically. Sonically. And just in general, it, it doesn't have the edge. It just doesn't have, feel like it has the edge that it used to. And I think that just kind of makes sense. Like, where at the stage that they are in their career and in their lives, like, of course it wouldn't have some of that same edge that they used to have. But then that's what results in me. Like, I get where they were going here. I get where they were going here. I don't hate it. But throughout the time, I was like, oh, I wish, I wish this was self-titled because I really like self-titled. Um, Kenny Hoopla, that, that's the other artist that I was thinking of that Travis Barker works with a lot. A uh, younger kid doing... Uh, uh, modern pop punk uh go listen to kenny hoopla songs and listen to the ones that are produced by travis barker so songs like um estella hollywood sucks um and then those are the ones that are produced by by, by travis barker or worked with on by travis barker and then listen to like how will I rest in peace if I'm buried by a high and then you needed a hit? And then these are tracks that like aren't produced by um, Travis Barker and they just feel like they have a little bit more of a raw edge. They feel a little bit more <sighs> garage band style. Like, and that's not to say that these, the other ones aren't like genuine, um, but they don't feel as overproduced. There's a little bit of roughness around the edges, which is what you want from pop punk, which is funny to say that because pop punk is already technically a sanitized version of punk rock getting in, you know, becoming 
being that being that nerdy obnoxious music music nerd it's not intentionally it's not intentionally i do think pop and other genres can have an edge and do have an edge i think there are plenty of examples of artists doing different genres that do have an edge this blink record record just doesn't have that anymore it just not to the same degree at least so I liked it more than Nine in California because I can at least listen to this and there are probably a handful of songs that I wouldn't mind putting into rotation. But for the most part, the first thing that I did when I finished listening to One More Time is I went back and listened to Self-Titled and, and, and then Take Off Your Pants and Jacket because it made me want that. So um, that's, that's my take on... On one more time, if I had to give it a number, it's I feel like it's too soon. I don't like rating records after a weekend, um, but I'm not going to come back to this that much. This is this is like a two out of five for me. It's there are redeeming qualities to this, but it's a little bit more niche and niche in the sense that like if you're a hardcore Blink fan, you're probably going to love this. And you're going to be like, what, Danny, what's wrong with you? Why would you say that? Um you're being overly critical or whatever. I was like, maybe, but I don't know. That's that's what that's what the listen the people come here for, right? For hot takes on stuff. Um, sorry, two out of five. I think it's. I think most people, most Blink fans, will enjoy it. I wouldn't. I would not throw any of these tracks. If I'm introducing someone, here's the thing. If I'm introducing someone to pop punk, none of these tracks make that playlist. And that is my barrier for like a minimum getting a three out of five, minimum a three out of five. You, 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 you are qualified to go on a playlist. This feels a little bit more like, eh, it's going to make more sense if you're already a Blink fan. And if you like the rest of Blink stuff, then sure, maybe you'll enjoy some of these, but that there, there, there is my reasoning. There's my answer to that. And you know what? Maybe some of you listening are like, no, I would totally put some of these tracks from one more time on a intro to pop punk and i'd say uh i strongly disagree but also cool <laughs> do do it do it do it where this is uh the free beyonce's free internet you know you can you can do do whatever you want enjoy whatever you want i would never tell you not to enjoy a thing that is for certain unless i think it's a blatant ripoff i will tell you straight up if i didn't enjoy and think and you know, whatever. That's what we're here for. Um, but yeah, this one's fine. This one's fine. I think people, will, Blink fans, will like it. It was, it was okay. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. Um, but I'm not going to come back to to this too much. Um, so there you go. There's my take on one more time. Very nostalgic. Um, and that's it. Oh, uh, and before I forget, oh my god, the wife <laughs> for uh, regarding Spider Man Two. Wives everywhere are praising this as riveting, easy to watch. Uh, and I forgot the third adjective that Lily gave me. Uh, <laughs> whoopsies. Uh, I'll throw that in the video somewhere, probably for the YouTube video. Um, but anyways, there we go. All right, y'all. That's that's the episode. Uh, if you, I mean, technically they aren't sponsoring the the podcast, but we do technically have our first sponsor. Go check out uh, the DMGTs on TikTok. But 
If you're looking for t-shirts, you can save 10% off and go to intotheam.com and get some really cool graphic tees or some basic tees if you want to keep it simple and classy and use code DMGT at checkout to save 10% on your order. Uh, they did send us some shirts and they look cool. And yeah, we're going to get paid every time you make a purchase with our code. Uh, but you should do that to support us. You get you get a shirt and we get a little bit of kickback. kickback. And if they get like... If, if, you know, 10 people order our shirts within a month, then they will send us more shirts and then we can keep promoting them. <laughs> and that's, that's how this relationship works. This is where we've entered, uh, formally entered the sponsorship, uh, world. So, uh, yeah, thank you for, for listening. Okay. Bye.